ever feel insecure or inadequate because of the lack of NBA experience never. as a player? Never. Um, if I didn't go through what I went through in college, yeah. I wouldn't be able to do this job. Like all the people that sent the hate messages sure. and all that, it would have broke me down. I would have been worried about how I looked. I don't care. I, I joke with Bethany about this all the time, and it's not a joke. It's serious, but, like, she knows this about me. If there's something I don't care about and there's something you don't care about, I guarantee you I care about it the least. This is the Give Me a Sense podcast. Here's Mike Yale. End of message. All right, welcome to the show. If you just found us, hello. If you've been with us, thanks for coming back. And as many of you know, we are all about sports stories. Nothing is dated on any of these shows. So you can always go back and check out some of our previous guests. And I know I sound like a broken record on this, but I am a one-man band on this. So if you tell a friend about the show and they tell a friend and then they tell a friend, you get the point here. So love the tweets. Keep them coming. At Mike underscore Yam. At Give Me a Sense. Just started using that handle. So there's like two followers as of right now. So let's get on that. We're all about basketball today. So just a quick reminder to check out some of our previous Hoops guests. Uh, former Duke star, Ala Abdelnavi. CU basketball coach, Tad Boyle. Uh, Larry Kraskoviak, who is Utah's coach, who spent some time in the NBA. I felt like the entire conversation we had was mostly about the NBA. Former Stanford coach, Mike Montgomery, had some interesting things to say about his time at Stanford and then making the jump to the league, which I think in some ways he it sounded like almost he regretted that decision. But once again, you can always go back and check out some of those episodes. But today, it's a guy that I've worked with for a few years at Pac-12 Network, a star at Oregon State, can still jump higher than pretty much everyone that I know. Uh, he is my personal life coach, gives the best advice, or at least is willing to always listen. And of course, he is ditching me to travel with Kevin Calabro to be the TV analyst for the Portland Trailblazers. It is Lamar Hurd. Are you... Are you well-rested? You actually had to fly commercial to come and do the show with us today. You weren't on a team charter. Are you feeling okay? Uh, uh, rested? I'm, I feel at home when, I, when I'm on commercial flights. That's what I grew up under. I, I have not forgotten where I came from. And I got to tell you, Yam, this will go on my Mount Rushmore of career achievements, being on the Give Me a Sense. Since day one, when this podcast came out, I always wondered, what do I have to do to make it on the Give Me a Sense? And I had to leave you. I had to leave you and go work in the NBA to get the credentials no, no. necessary to be on the Give Me a Sense. So. Un- untrue, untrue. I was waiting for a time where you'd be in San Francisco with me, um, and then you decided to ditch me and, and to take the job <laughs> with the Blazers. So you you kind of fell down the list a little bit because I wanted to have – I actually thought I'd have to make a special trip to Portland where you live. Yeah, you should. And do this, do this in person. You should. Well, I get the best of both worlds because I get yeah. to work with the Blazers and you know was in Utah just last night doing a game and here I am with you in studio well next time I head up to Portland you know we're going wine tasting right yeah I know that's what you, you're a master at that no right? no 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 no. I, yes you I, are I, you I know wish. all you know the names of all of them you know, <laughs> I know the names how long they're they're fermented and all the other terminology that goes with it well it is uh look there's some great you can get some great pinot in uh, and I learned that actually remember last summer yeah, I, you know I CJ the, McCullum has become a big uh wine connoisseur no kidding as of late yes he he has an interest in it now, I can't give too much information because yeah. Brooke Olsendam, who you also know, yeah, yeah. she's our courtside reporter. For sure. It's one of her upcoming stories. So oh. I can't give everybody the ins and outs now. I'm going to hit up Brooke, Brooke on Brooke that. does the breaking news. I'm going to hit up Brooke on that, and I want to see if we can coordinate. It'll be me, CJ, Brooke, you. You'll get your fiance Bethany, to come down, and we'll all go wine tasting in the Bay Area. We'll go to like Napa and Sonoma, Sounds. and then I'll make the trip up to Portland, and we'll do the Pinot deal. Wait, CJ's not coming down here to 
to kick it with us. CJ's got other things to do. All right, then I'll just head to. I'll. Uh, who needs CJ? I don't even need CJ. That's fine. So it'll be the four of us. We'll all. Uh, we'll all have a good time with that. You know, it's actually that's a great place to start because you said, "Hey, you've made the jump to the NBA." I think your story is fascinating, um, and it's now another chapter because you're doing NBA basketball. But I want to rewind for a second because for those who don't know, Lamar has been working with us at Pac-12 Network for a few years. Uh, I, I introduced you as a star at Oregon State. And yet, I think your path even to get to Oregon State is vastly different than I think a lot of you know high school uh, basketball players that want to play high Division One level hoops. So take us through you know, your decision to essentially, in a lot of ways, leave home, right? I'm not underselling yeah. that. You left home to go and play basketball. And I'm not saying at the college level. Yeah. I'm saying at a younger age to fine-tune and work on your game. Yeah, you know, without getting too deep into it, because we'll be here for two hours, um, I left home in the sixth grade from Houston, Texas, and I left my mom's house to go live with a basketball coach who I didn't know personally. My mom knew him because he was the youth pastor at our church in the city of Houston, but he was also a basketball coach 90 miles north of the city. And when I was in the fifth grade, my older brother was having a few struggles in the public school system in Houston. You know, schools on there are huge. He was just getting lost in a shuffle. You know, nothing crime-related or anything of that nature. Just uh, needed to focus up. So my mom sent him to this school 90 minutes north of the city, and he would stay with this coach there throughout the week, and then he would come home on weekends. And every time he would come home on weekends, he would just tell me all these stories about all this basketball they're playing, how the coach has the key to the gym, uh, which is a big deal. Yeah. I mean, this is before the age of where you go to any 24-hour fitness and you see a bunch of kids running around. Like, we didn't have that luxury then at that time. So my brother would tell me all these stories. He'd say, like, oh, yeah, we go eat fast food at McDonald's, too, because, like, that's something else we just didn't do. Like, a night at McDonald's for my family growing up was like a, a night at Roots, Chris, nowadays. Yeah. It really Love those was. those golden arches, baby. Yeah, I mean, it was rare. Those are double quarter pounders. Um, so when my brother would tell me all these stories, like I instantly wanted to go be a part of it because I was a basketball kid through yeah, and through. Yeah. I was willing to leave anybody and anything to go play the game. So I begged my mom throughout my whole fifth grade year. She always told me no, me no, no, no. She eventually told me yes. Once the sixth grade came, I said, you can go to this school. I'll let you try it out. Your grades better not slip. There better not be any behavior issues or anything of that nature. And uh, she, she let me do a trial run. And I loved it. It was like one of the best years of my life because I was just playing basketball all the time. Um, it was a very small environment. The school, K through 12, only had about 120 kids. And I didn't care about that. You know, I went from big city living to that type of atmosphere. But I got all the basketball I wanted. So what happened is midway through the year, um, I stopped going home on weekends. So remember how I said that my brother yeah, would go yeah. during the week and then come home on weekends? I stopped going home because the weekends was when we played the most basketball. So then my mom ended up moving the rest of the family, my younger brother and herself, up to that area, that town. The town is called Cleveland, Texas, the following year. And I went to school there and graduated. Um, and uh, those were really the most transformational years of my life just because that coach – in essence, was able to use the passion I had for basketball in order to get me to become the type of person he would have hoped that I'd become and also a, a decent basketball player. Uh, sixth grade, 12, yeah. 13, you're 12 years old. Yeah. Are, isn't that weird, though? Like, are you are you ever, 
scared. I mean, right now, and I'm going to talk to you about, you know, the organization that, and you're working with a ton of kids. Yeah. I mean, so you're around 12 year olds. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think, this is like a big thing in tennis. I feel like I've talked to a bunch, to a bunch of tennis guys over the years. I, I've spent some years covering the sport where some of the former pros, they would go down to Florida. Mm-hmm. And they would be at these tennis academies where it's sort of that's what you do. And it sounds like in a lot of ways it was basketball was sort of your your focus. And mm-hmm. I always thought Andre Agassi was one of those guys, now that I think about it, who was at a tennis academy for years. Did, aren't you nervous when you leave? I mean, I, I think about my upbringing, right, where, you know, I, I mean, a weekend trip to stay with my buddies was mm-hmm. like a big thing. You're, you're gone, you know, every single day, basically. Yeah. No, I wasn't nervous at all. I wasn't nervous at all. I never second guessed it. I never was up there at the school when I was in the sixth grade during the weekdays and feeling like, oh, no, what did I do? You know, mom is 90 minutes away. Yeah. Um, I, I never remember having any of those moments because when I tell you I was a basketball kid, I would do anything for basketball. And so here I am with this opportunity to be under this coach and play basketball seemingly whenever I wanted to. There was nothing else I wanted in life. Like, I left all my best friends. You know, I had a lot of good friends when I was in the fifth grade, a bunch of little buddies, and I just, I left them. We were we didn't have cell phones. I wasn't able to text them during the week and catch up, and I didn't have email or none of that. Like, it was done, and I was good with that because that's just how much I love the game, and my friends and family knew that about me. So you go, is you're, work, you're playing basketball, but, like, what's the schedule like? Are you actually... I'm just it's trying a, to... It's, it, it's a simple, everyday schedule. Go to school from... I forgot what time school started, but let's say 7.30 okay. or 8 till 3.30-ish. As soon as school is done, you're in the gym. Working, and that went through working, high school? Oh, all the time. So that and was... It, so, so then what, what started happening is around 8th grade, maybe even 7th grade, I think after my first year there, we started doing a lot of things in the morning. So while the high school team would be working out in the morning, I would go... 6 o'clock, 6 a.m., and go work out with them. You know, get some extra shots up, ball handling, scrimmage with them, whatever the case was, and then go to school, and then after school, you're back in a gym. You might go out to eat that evening, and then you're back in a gym. Uh, somebody's talking noise. There, there's a church service on Wednesday night, so there's a church right across the street from the school. We're at church service. Guys are talking noise about, no, last time we was playing, I, I had 20 on you, I had whatever. Let's go settle it in the gym. All of a sudden, we're in the gym till 12 Midnight, 1 a.m. That was the schedule every single day. The population of this town in Cleveland at that time was about 8,000 people in the entire town. So there was nothing else going on. You did not go to that town or that school uh, for anything really other than one or two things. Either you had some family there um, or you were going to Heritage Christian Academy, which is the name of the school, to go try to play basketball. All right, so how do you decide on, on Oregon State? Oh, now this one is a very long story. I'm, I'm going to condense it for you, though. Um, I actually committed to Baylor coming out of high school. So let me rewind really quick. Yeah. Up until my senior year, I didn't have any scholarship offers. I did not have one Division One scholarship offer. Why um, was that? Well, I'm going to tell you. Okay. The, the summer of... What had happened? The summer <laughs> what had happened was... Okay, okay, okay. Um, <laughs> the summer... Oh, I'm sorry, the spring of my junior year. Yeah. So that's usually the time when... Most high school athletes, other than the phenoms, other than the Markel Fultzes and Lonzo Balls and sure. the guys we see dominating in, in the Pac-12, those guys are known long in advance. Um, everybody else, for the most part, it's that summer before your senior year, that spring before, where 
you get a good sense of where you're going to be. They they give you a sense. Yeah, give me a sense. They of give you a sense of where you're going to yeah. be. So Rodney Terry, who was now the coach at Fresno State, the head basketball coach, was an assistant coach at the University of Texas my junior year. He came to my school to watch one of my teammates. I had a kid named Cedric Kinsley who actually scored 101 points in a game. Um, Rodney came to come and see. Wasn't that the him. same weekend Wagner? Yeah, same, oh, same night. Not same only night. weekend, okay. same exact night. It's crazy. Yeah. Uh, DeWan Wagner, who, by the way, ended up playing. Uh, he went to Memphis crew. and then went to, played for the Cavs for a little yeah. bit. Yeah, I remember that. I remember talking about him fantasy-wise. Yeah. Wasn't he hot? Duke was hot on him. Everybody DePaul, was hot right? on him. Well, that's actually a good yeah, point. Yeah, everybody. You drop, you drop a, you know, a C note in the game. Yeah, everybody. Pay attention. Um, but so Roddy Terry's there watching this kid, Cedric Hensley, and whenever you play on a team, I played on a team that has six guys that went D1. Some went the same year as me. A couple went the following year. And whenever you play on that kind of team, coaches are always coming in and out of your gym. So here's Rodney Terry, University of Texas, the big dogs in our state at the time. And we're playing up and down. And after we're done playing, he goes to talk to my coach. And he gives my coach feedback on Cedric. And then my coach asks, well, what do you think about Lamar? And Rodney says, well, you know, he's really skilled. Uh, he shoots the ball well, which is super surprising, and I'm going to get into that because if you watch my college career, you hear somebody say he shoots the ball well, you'd be like, Wait, are we watching the same dude? But Rodney says he shoots the ball well, he passes really good, he's, he's super skilled, but he's not athletic enough to play at our level. And so my coach said, so do you think just because he's not athletic enough, he won't get a chance to play high major Division one ball? And he said, yeah, I don't think so. I don't, I don't see him performing at that level. So after Rodney leaves, my coach comes and tells me that same message. And the face you're making right now, which our, our listeners could see, was the same face that I was making. Just this shock, just this, wait a minute. I came to this school from the time I was in the sixth grade. I had dreams about playing ball at the Division One level. And you mean to tell me that there's something that's holding me back? I'm not athletic enough? And so my coach said, yeah. He said, look, you got basically a few months. To figure it out. Not even a whole year. You have a few months to try to change something. So <clears throat> I saw it as... I have no other option but to get athletic. I don't care what it's going to take, what I have to sacrifice, I'm going to get athletic. So, yeah, for the next six months, I, um, I, I remember the year before reading a magazine, a slam magazine, where Ray Young, former UCLA Bruin, yeah, yeah. did 1,000 calf raises a night. And he said he did it to help his vertical. He got a 40-inch vertical. So I said, okay, he did 1,000, I'm going to do 2,000. So for the next six months, I did 2,000 calf raises every night. I would take one day off. And the reason I would take one day off is because when I would go seven straight, I, I literally couldn't walk. Like, I could, I could not step, step. And so I said, okay, I got to temper this back a little bit. So I took one day off in between. Um, there was a jump program called the Air Alert, another thing that I read in a magazine. I saw that it gets your vertical up. I did the Air Alert every day for the entire program. I think it's a 12-week program. When, when I started it, my high school team started it with me. We were all going to do it. I'm the only one to finish the program. Um, I also read somewhere that when you sprint and get your fast twitch muscles up, that it makes you, you know, faster. You could jump higher and all that stuff. So I sprinted three three times a week in front of my house. I had a driveway uh, that was pretty long, and then I, I lived on a road that kind of curved around. So I would run my driveway and just into the road and just curve it, almost like the the corner of a two hundred. Yeah. You're so doing all three of those things. All three Simon? of those things for six months. Wow. And at the end of the six month trial period my my vertical had gone up about a foot and so i went oh, I, I went from i went from not having been able to dunk on a fast break 
to doing almost any dunk that I wanted to do. Not, I mean, not everyone, but you I, mean, I, could, you throw I could do the 360s. I yeah. could do the windmills. I could do the double clutch, all that stuff. So uh, that that was the good side of that. The downfall of it was throughout the process, my my jump shot kind of took a hit. So now all of a sudden, like when you're dribbling full speed into a shot, you know, you dribble to a spot. You stop, you rise up. Some guys elevate high, sure. some guys don't elevate at all. Your elevation so actually messed you my, up. My elevation, like, took, because it happened so fast. Um, I think most guys whose vertical increases, it's over a longer period of time. For me, it was so fast, and I wasn't getting the the necessary reps that I needed to on my shot with how fast that my vertical was also growing. And so what would happen is— So your release then went from— whatever your peak was, now all of a sudden your peak releases a foot higher. I went from not being able to get past people and jump over people to get a shot to being able to get any shot I wanted at pretty much any time. But you keep missing at uh, least when you're coming <laughs> up. <laughs> no, so, so, here, so here's the crazy thing. So in high school, my high school coach, he knew me as a shooter from all the time before. So he, yeah. this is a perfect example of kind of your reputation preceding you. So my coach and I, from my junior year on down, so 11th grade, 10th grade, 9th grade, we used to have contests where he would be like, all right, make six threes in a fourth quarter, and I'll take you out to dinner. And I'll do it. And it'd be like it's nothing because that's all I could do. I couldn't do anything else. You get McDonald's. And, and I, got my, I got my double quarter pounder. <laughs> and so, um, you know, throughout my senior year of high school, even though I became more athletic, I was just inconsistent with my shot. I would have some games where, oh, he made four or five threes, and I'd have a game where I didn't make any. But my coach just knew that that's, just, that's who he is now. Um, at the end of the year, I have – pretty much offers from uh, uh, not everywhere, but a lot of the uh, lower high majors type schools. Um, so I had an offer from almost every conference um, in the country, but it wasn't their top schools. So um, in the ACC, it wasn't Duke. It was Florida State. You know, in, in the SEC, it wasn't uh, Kentucky. It was Arkansas. And so I kind of had that going around, and I went from a relatively unknown to a top 100 player. And in pretty much every publication there was out there, I was considered a top 100 guy in the country. So um, I committed to Baylor. And this was at the time when Dave Bliss was the coach, mm. and they had John Lucas, um, John Lucas Jr., they had uh, Lawrence Roberts, they had a guy named Kenny, Kenny Taylor that played with T.J. Ford and Daniel Ewing yeah, yeah. out of Willers. I mean, they, they were a good up-and-coming team. And so they they sold it as we see you and John Lucas playing uh, together in the backcourt and this and that. And so I committed to Baylor. Do you have any relationships with any of these guys just based off of geographically where you were in Texas? Did you know any of those guys? Uh, just knew of them. Okay. I knew of them. They knew of me. John Lucas played a little bit with the Houston Hoops program his last his last year of AAU. That was a program I played with all throughout high school. And so it, Lawrence Roberts, the same thing. So we kind of just knew of each other that way, but we weren't friends or anything yeah. like that. So I committed to Baylor. Like two weeks after the commitment, I felt like something was, wasn't right. I didn't know what it was, but I just felt like something wasn't right. I told my mom. I told my coach. They said, look, just sit on it for a little bit. Um, see how you feel. Another two weeks goes by. I still feel the same way. I'm like, I don't know why. I don't know where. I got to go. I got to get out this commitment. So they said, all right, call Coach Bliss and let him know. And I, I wasn't the kind of kid that would back out of something. Like I told I mean, like when I left home, I left Bless. home. When I do something, I do something. So this was kind of a big deal for me to back out of this commitment. I called Coach Bliss on my coach's office phone. I can I can remember like it just happened an hour ago. And I said, hey, Coach Bliss, I'm sorry to tell you, uh, but 
I just don't feel like I made the right decision and committing to Baylor, and I feel like I, I need to back out of the commitment. He goes off on me, just starts cussing me out. No kidding. Letting me know pretty much how worthless I am. And my coach is sitting there right there next to me, and he, he says, give me the phone. So I give my coach the phone. My coach starts talking. Coach Bliss starts cussing my coach out. Hangs up the phone. That's it. Uh, without getting into all the extreme details of how the process happened after that, um, I chose Oregon State. And the way that really happened to sum it up is Jay John, who was my coach, he was at Arizona during my senior year of high school. At that same time, the coach at Oregon State at that time, Richie McKay, got fired. Jay John took over the job. Jay John had watched me throughout my senior year of high school while he was at Arizona because I played several games against one of Arizona's prize recruits that year, Indy Eby, who went straight from high school to the NBA. And I always had really good games uh, in those games, so Coach John remembered me from that. He did his research when he found out I got out of the commitment. He was hearing from everybody, yeah, this kid can play. He's legit top 100, go get him. Jay John was at my house a, a couple days after getting the job and took a visit to Oregon State, and that's where I decided to go. Okay, so you end up with the Beavs. How would you... If I said to you, hey, Lamar, define – because I, I know your story and I know sort of what happens after you leave Oregon State yeah. and I think it's fascinating and we're going to get to that in a second. But um, just for the – just from, from a time perspective, if I said, Lamar, characterize your time as a basketball player at Oregon State, what would you say? Roller coaster. Yeah. It was a roller coaster for me. I came in my first year – and this is this is some a lot of people like have no clue about this. I, I Can was I just, real quick? Oh, here. go ahead. I want to let everyone know how close Lamar was to playing also in the league. So when you keep this in mind when you're hearing Lamar describe a roller coaster stay at Oregon State, that there is an upswing where the NBA was potentially a a real a real you know that that was a real possibility for you. So I just want to give people that. Um, it's funny because Yogi Roth, who's one of our colleagues at Pac-12 Network, he does his show where he doesn't ask questions he doesn't know the answer to. Uh-huh. I know I, I don't <laughs> know if that that would be the case with you. So, but I actually think it's fascinating. So I want to be able to set people up for what what's still to come. So sorry, go on. Well, Roller no, coaster. that's fine. Well, I mean, we can get straight to it because my most I guess promising year at Oregon State might have been my freshman year, and a little bit in my senior year, but really my freshman year uh, because I came in. And I was starting right away. I started pretty much every game in my career. Ironically, it wasn't until my senior year that I started coming off the bench. Uh, and I came off the bench a few games, but I'll get into that. So my freshman year, I come out. We're playing pretty well. I have some good games at the right times. You know, all that stuff is about timing. It's yeah. about performing at the right time. So when we went to the McHale Center that year and we were playing the number two ranked Arizona, I knew you got to do something in this game. You know, I don't know what it is, but you got to do something. So there was like a period in that game where I scored like six points in a row, three possessions in a row, trying to go at Jason Gardner, who was an All-American yeah, at yeah. the time, um, and just do little things like that, like make my imprint at different times in the game. Went up against Luke Rittenauer, who was a first-round pick, was Pac-10 Player of the Year that year, really good guard. Um, I had, that for that time, my freshman year, career-high 13 points, Against him, played a good all-around game. And so I tried to pick certain times like that against Washington. Did you guys Nate beat Rupp. Oregon that year? No, we beat them the following year. Following year, yeah. Okay. Uh, against the Washington Huskies with Nate Robinson yeah, and, yeah. and B. Roy and those guys. I played really well against them both times we played them. We beat them both times that year. And so I had these kind of these sprinkles of, of promising moments where by the end of the season, uh, there, were, there were actually NBA people inquiring, like, hey, you know, we – we're going to follow this guy, kind of see how he's doing. 
I, I remember vividly, and, and you don't know this because I never told you this, but I remember at the end of the season, uh, my coach called me into his office, and he was just we were reviewing the season, which is what coaches do with other players, and he said, look, you got a lot of good stuff ahead of you right now. Here's some things you want to work on in the off season, you know, blah, blah, blah. He said, but get more athletic. All right, I'm going back to the track. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, no, we didn't have any athleticism problems then. He said, uh, here's some things you're going to be working on. And he said, and you're going to be buying your mom a new house soon. And that's how we ended the meeting. And so mm. that's kind of where I was at. And that's kind of the feedback he was getting at the time. At the end of my freshman year, and this is what I was about to get into, I was talking to a group of kids from Portland last night. And, um, and I, I asked him, I said, you guys all know Brandon Roy? And he said, yeah, of course we do. Hey, who doesn't know Brandon Roy? One of the best Blazers there's been. And I said, and I, and I don't say this in any type of braggadocious way, but I, I was explaining to them the kind of roller coaster I had. I said, after my freshman season, I was rated higher than Brandon Roy was rated. On NBA Draft Express, after my freshman year, they had me going early in the second round. Which, if, I, if, if there's anybody who followed my entire career and they heard that statement, they, they'd laugh. They'd be like, man, you crazy. Because I ended up falling off. Yeah. Um, but um, that's how people thought of me. And so there was this buildup coming into my sophomore year that, hey, this, you know, Kill Lamar has a chance if he improves on his jump shot because I didn't shoot the ball well my freshman year. And I'm about to get into some of why that was the case. Uh, you know, if he improves on this, you know, keeps getting a little stronger, this dude could, could have a chance. And so, and to kind of give you more context, I ended up being Pac-10 um, All Freshman Honorable Mention on that team, or, or that year. And I had several of the coaches that year, and I'm not going to say their names, but they came to me and they said the only reason you lost out to one of the guys that's on that list, and I don't want to throw the dude's name, you know, out there like that because he was a good. Actually, I'll throw his name out there. Yeah, yeah. Richard Midgley. Richard Midgley went to Cal. He was yeah. a point guard. He was good. He was a good player. His team won. My team didn't win. So we know how it yeah, is with, yeah. with awards. We talk about it all the time. You got to win. Yep. You got to win. So his team won a lot of times. So he got the nod over me. They all said they felt like that was my spot. The other guys on that list, I believe Nate Robinson, Hassan Adams, uh, Ike Diagu, all guys who played in the league. Wow. Yeah. The other honorable mention guys, Ryan Hollins, Bobby Jones from Washington, they played in yeah. the league. Yeah. So Richard Misley, I think he coaches now in Modesto. He – I'm and gonna I, attach him to the tweet uh, he, when I sent out the show. He, yeah. He's a good player. Yeah. I mean, no knock on him. He and I, and I think Ian Crosswhite, who went to Oregon, we're the only ones that didn't didn't touch the league out of that group. So it was a good group of guys. Um, so going into the off season, you know, my coach told me the things he wanted me to work on, and I I worked on them. Like it was just like when I heard Rodney Terry say, "You need to get better at this to achieve this." So when my coach told me, "You need to do this to buy your mom that house." I was about to go attack that, and I did it the whole offseason. And I came back the following year, and we, we have these scrimmages. Every school does this. During football season, you have these scrimmages uh, before the football game, and it gives the fans a chance to come watch the basketball team yeah, play a yeah. little bit and then also go to the football game. So I, I, I made sure in my mind, I said, I'm going to come out in all these scrimmages, and I'm going to kill. I, I'm about to go. I'm going to set the tone early this season so that my coach knows, all right, we could, we could run some offense through Lamar. We could do this. No. And so I would do that. If you go, it's, it's even still documented on the websites now. You can go back and look at numbers from the scrimmages. And I was always one of the leading scorers. My team was always winning, this and that. And I was showing things that I could do. Well, that's really the time where I started receiving certain messages. Um, a lot of times from my coaching staff that I just had never really heard before. And it started messing with my mind. 
and it's give me an example it's it it, it everything was well intended all right but i, I got to be careful how i communicate this because i don't want to throw anybody under the bus because when it all comes down to it and i tell you this it's my fault i was accountable i was still on the floor but an example one time um, i'm in in one of my coach's offices and they're like, yeah, dude, you're getting better. I shot, I think, like 67, 68% from the free throw line my, fr- my first year. So I'm in their office, started my sophomore year, and they said, uh, they said, yeah, you know, you keep working, and by the time you're a senior, you'll be able to shoot threes and free throws. And so I kind of looked and I said, well, are you saying that, like, technically I'll, I'll have the form for it, or are you saying I'll have permission to do it? When And they're like, no, like, You'll be good enough. You know, you're just now learning how to shoot the ball. You're just learning how to shoot free throws and threes. And I'm like, no, 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 no. No, that's not. No, I'm not. <laughs> that's not That's not true. I don't know if you're saying at the collegiate level, maybe it's different. It's more pre- – I don't know what you're saying because it's not like I'm new to this. And, yeah, I mean, it got to the point where this coach was so gung-ho on the fact that he was right and that it was not going to be until my senior year. Like, we skipped that whole sophomore year. In the junior year. Senior year is when I'd be able to shoot. So I'm hearing this, and I'm like, what? I've never heard anything like that before. Because all I used to be able to do was shoot. Now, I yeah. get that. I've, I've been inconsistent since becoming more athletic, but it wasn't that bad. It's not like I was shooting 20% from the free throw line or something. So I left that meeting, and I called my coach from high school, and I told him what happened. And he couldn't believe it. And I said, look, you got to send me some video of one of our games where I'm, where I'm making like seven threes. Just so, cause I don't, I, cause I, I don't know what it is, cause I hadn't done, I didn't do that in college. Yeah. I, even that freshman year, I didn't have a game where I made seven threes. Um, I said, look, man, I need something, cause I don't know what's going on. So he sends the tape. I go back to that same coach. We sit in his office. We put the tape in. We watch the tape. We watch the game. And I'm thinking, okay, now he's, you know, this is what I need. I need somebody to believe in me. That's what yeah. I, I need them to empower me with their words. We watched the whole game. After the game, they're like, okay, good stuff, good stuff. That's what I envision when you're a senior. What? I leave the office and I'm broken. I am, I am like messed up mentally in the mind. And throughout that whole year, you saw pretty much all my numbers kind of go down. Um, I think I got better defensively, but outside of that, everything else just started declining. I had good games again from time to time, but there was no consistency to what I was doing. It only got worse going into my junior year. My junior year was the worst season of basketball I've ever had. It's not even close. And I was just so broken mentally that I could not get over the hump. I cared too much about what they thought and what they were saying. Um, I cared about how I was looking. At the same time, I knew that two seasons prior, I was on a second-round draft board, you know, as a potential pick. Yeah. And, like, now we're a lot years away from all that, seemingly. And so I almost transferred that year. Um, I almost left Oregon State that year, almost went back to Baylor. They got a new coaching staff, and they started turning things around. And you could tell that they were going to get to the point where they are now, where they're considered a number one seed for an NCAA tournament. Uh, but I ended up staying. I talked to my strength coach, who I was really good friends with there, and he just kind of told me, like, you know, you put so much time into this thing, and if you could find a way to overcome this, then that will be one of your, your greatest uh, accomplishments. So I stayed there at Oregon State, got off to a pretty good start that senior year, team is winning uh right before conference play my coach benches me um he ironically it's a game right before we're about to play at what used to be the rose garden but is now the moda center yeah, where the yeah. portland trailblazers play 
We're about to play a big game. And so, and I knew this was a big stage. It was going to be a game that was broadcast nationally on Fox Sports. We were playing Georgia. So I was preparing to try to have a big game. The night before the game, in the hotel, coach comes to me and he says, look, the other point guard on our team is having a tough time playing well this season. He said, I know what I'm going to get from you. This is, this is some of the best I've seen from you. So because of that, we're going to put him in a starting lineup and try to get him going, and we're going to have you come off the bench. And I wasn't cool with it. I, normally, I'm, I'm, I'm the dude that's cool with that kind of thing. Yeah. I'll be the best team player I need to be. But because of all the things I'd gone through, and you're finally getting your swag. And, yeah, and, and and me and that point guard didn't necessarily see eye to eye anyway. So it's kind of like, I don't know about this. But that's the move he made, and I started kind of going back in that in that dark place. You know, I, I had a few games coming off the bench where I might as well not even been playing. And it wasn't until conference play started where I was like, all right, this is on me. Like, you got to do something with this. Your, your season is – it's about to be done, yeah. you know. So – Conference play, I kind of got everything back, got got mentally right, was still coming off the bench. We're playing at Oregon. Coach starts the other guy. He's not able to get it done. He subs me in. We start making a run in that game. The game goes down to the end. I play well. We go on the road to Stanford. Same thing. Other guy starts. I come off the bench. Other guy's not playing well. He leads me in all the way to the end. We're riding the bus from Stanford to go to Cal. On the bus, my coach comes and sits by me, and he says, I'm sorry. I should have never taken you out of the starting lineup. You're starting for the rest of the season, and that's not going to change. And when he told me that, it's like that was kind of the validation that I was hoping for back when I was back a freshman day, yeah. and sophomore. Yeah. You know, that's that's kind of what I was looking for. He's a new he, coach, too. Yeah, he's a new coach. Yeah. It's his first few years. Um, but that's what I was looking for. So I was like, okay, cool. We go to Cal. We win there on the road. I play well. My teammates play well. We win there on the road for the first time in a long time. We go home. We play a ranked Arizona team. Um, same thing. I start. I play well. My team plays well. We beat Arizona. Next game, we're playing Arizona State at home. About 10 minutes into the game, I feel a tightness in my growing area. I don't know what it is, uh, but I feel something there. So I call for a sub. While the sub is at the table, I'm running up and down the court just trying to control my movements. Normally when I played, I was tasked with guarding the, the best perimeter player. But during this time, I kind of guarded somebody who I knew wasn't going to do anything because I couldn't move. So I controlled all my movements. I was just waiting for a whistle. Somehow I end up with the ball on offense at the top of the key, and the shot clock is like at eight seconds. And I'm trying to pass it. Nobody's open. Nobody's open. Six, five. So, like, I got to do something with the ball. You know, like when you're hurt out there, you don't want to make it known you're hurt. You just want to play. Five seconds. I try to blow past somebody to the left. I accelerate. I feel stuff snapping, like in my growing area. Uh, throw a pass to a teammate. He makes a shot in the corner. Um, I fall down on the floor. Play stops. That was it. You got the I, assist. I got the assist. I why didn't t- you pull up? I t- pull up and shoot. Yeah. Why Why make the move? Do you ever think about that? Oh, uh, oh I, was, I was deep. I, was, I didn't have that kind of range. I was like feet behind a three-point line. Can I just – and what year is this? 2002. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry, six. 2006. So 2006. Yep. Boy, man, times have changed. I'm yeah. watching guards now, oh, eight feet back from the line, not even hesitate well, to pull it. Well, if it was high school, I would have shot yeah. it. Yeah. But I wasn't at that point mentally with my jump shot where I felt comfortable shooting that kind of shot. So tried to go by the guy, and I didn't think that would happen. Yeah, I, mean, I never, yeah. I never yeah. tore anything. And you before. never think about those things. You just so I tore tendons in my groin. My season was done. That was it, and it was all over. All right. So I want to get to 
you 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 move sixth grade. You're 12 years old. Mm-hmm. You said, hey, your goal was to play Division One basketball and in the NBA and in the NBA. That's mm-hmm. where I was going with mm-hmm. this. So you finish up, career's done at Oregon State. It was roller coaster, is how you describe it. How in the like? Where do you go? Because I got to think that's a dark place, right? You're hurt. It's a senior year. You know your career's done. You knew yeah. you were probably at this point a fringe guy mm-hmm. for the for the league. Like very you, fringe, very fringe. Yeah. So, I, I got to think that the I, I'm not going to use the word depression because I think that might be overstating yeah. it. But like, you you got to be in a dark place, right? You know, I not really because um, I called I, you my life coach too. I, this is why <laughs> you see how optimistic this dude is. Well, because I finally it took me until my senior year to become fully accountable for everything that was going on. Like, on every team across the country, you will find a player that will say, man, coach has heard my game. Or he's holding me back. He's yeah. doing and sometimes it's true. Exactly. Especially being on the outside now and being able to look back and look See into certain programs. Yeah. Oh, that happens all the time. But still, I was playing 25, 30 minutes a game. So I could have gone and got the ball and done certain things. It would have been outside of my character a little bit because I'm a, I'm a, if I have to try to relate my game to somebody's, in terms of how they go out there and orchestrate things, um, I would say Casey Benson at Oregon. That's why I love his game. Oh yeah. The way now I'm not saying I'm the assist to turnover ratio guy <laughs> that he is because I think Casey Benson is phenomenal. But just the, the style of play, going out there and making sure everything runs the way it's supposed to run. Yes. It, it would seem crazy if Casey Benson came down three times in a row and just pulled up from 25 feet. Right. He doesn't do that. Okay. But if Lonzo Ball did, it, we'd be like, okay, that's not UCLA surprised. basketball. Yeah. So, you know. I and it's not a disrespectful thing. Like, not at all. That's just who they are. Like a, a system guy. But Casey's not a system. I, I feel like Casey's the dude, if you want to relate it to basketball terms, to like real life, he's the guy that you want to be friends with. Because yeah, yeah, he's probably, a, well, I, I, I mean, I've interviewed Casey a bunch of times, but low ego guy, yep. guy that wants to make sure that you're getting yours, yeah. understands his role. He doesn't care necessarily about him looking good as long as you're looking as good because we team, look yeah. good. Yeah. And Casey can look good. Yeah. Like Casey Benson is, is a really good player. Um, so, um, yeah, I became accountable, and um, I used that time while I was hurt to actually go and talk to people in the TV trucks and learn about the TV business because I knew that whenever I'm done playing, whenever that is, that's something that I'd be interested in and want to get involved with. So I used my senior year to do that, and then I knew I would have a chance to either go the D-League route or go overseas. Coming out, I decided, hey, I want to make a little bit of money, which most kids do at that time. And I decided to go the overseas route. And I ended up playing in a league in Germany, which was a very, very good league. A bunch of guys that either played in the league or uh, some of them eventually played in the league. Um, Those guys were a part of that league. And when I say the league, I'm talking about the NBA. Yeah, yeah. So there's NBA-type caliber guys in this league. And so I was really fortunate to get in that position coming off of an injury my senior year. Um, I got the starting job on, on this team in Germany because their point guard was injured and had a, had some really good games coming out the out the gate. And they ended up signing me long term. And um, it was a good year. And then I came home that summer and was planning to go and play again somewhere else, working out with John Lucas in Houston, playing some really good basketball, to the point where John Lucas, who now is part of the Rockets staff, said that he was willing to try to help me get on the summer league team. He and this felt, is the John Lucas who was with the Spurs for a bunch of years, if I'm not mistaken? Oh, was, was John with the Spurs? I thought, I thought he was with. Wasn't he a head coach he probably, for a little bit? Yes, yes. Oh, coaching. Okay. I thought you yeah, meant yeah. playing. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. No, he coached, yeah, he coached around the league, played around the league, uh, one of the best point guards to play. 
And so when John kind of said that about me, like, dude, I think you could play on a summer league team, then now my confidence is just going higher and higher. And uh, I'm, I'm, I went back to the Portland area after working out with John in Houston, and I'm deciding what I'm going to do next. And um, there's, a, there's a gym in Beaverton called The Hoop, six-court facility gym. I go there just to kind of work, get a little bit of money during my off time, and also be able to work out in the gym. Yeah. So I have to pay to go work out somewhere. This dude tells me I can start coaching a group of kids, and whenever I need to leave to go play, I can leave to go play. Long story short, fell in love of, with it. group of kids came out, fell in love with it, felt like I got to be for them what my coach was for me growing up. And essentially, in my mind, I retired from basketball that day. The fall of 2008 is in September 2007 I'm sorry what's that moment um it was simple for me it was it's weird I know it sounds weird because it's like after the roller coaster season I'm actually playing good again yeah. I'm actually on somewhat of a, a radar again uh but my, my whole life was based around doing whatever I felt was the right thing to do even if maybe it didn't make sense I always feel like if you do the right thing it will pay off um at some point in your life and even if it doesn't pay off you still do it because it's the right thing to do. These were some of the things that I learned growing up under that coach, which is why it was so big for me at that moment to say, I want to be for all these kids that are in front of me what my coach is for me. Now, listen, my family didn't take it as 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 easily as as maybe some others. Like my mom thought I was crazy. Wow. She was almost she was about to fly up to Oregon to talk to me and see like, dude, what is going on? To tell you to go play. Yeah, pretty much, of course. You know, what are you thinking? My coach and I had multiple conversations. Um, he never tried to talk me out of it, but it's like, are you sure? I mean, I just talked to John Lucas myself a couple months ago. He really likes you, and, you know, he could put you in the right spots. And I was like, look, man, I, I don't know what to tell you, but I, I just don't feel. And I even asked my coach. I said, I said what, if, what if when I was in the sixth grade, John Lucas would came to you and said, I got something for you to go off and go leave and do that. We would have never had the seven years we had. And so for me, I just felt really convicted at that time to – Start coaching the kids, and so that's what I did. Well, the the group is the other side of basketball, um, which is the the organization. Um, and if anyone follows me on Instagram at Mike underscore Yam, you will know that I I you got I, some nice shirts. I got I got some shirts oh, that yeah. I that got I rock. More so, for you. Um, so all right, I got two other topics. We actually have a production meeting, a show meeting coming up in a, in a few minutes here. And wow, I did, we can be late. I can't told, we? I actually sent the text message that we'll be about five minutes late. So we got okay. some time. Here. All right, all right, I'll, um, I'll move quicker. So two things, because I want to get you on broadcasting, because you now have a successful career as you've ditched me to go take the Blazers <laughs> job. Not bitter at all, just a little bit, very bitter. Uh, you, you, the other side of basketball. I, I, the reason why I like promoting it, um, not only because the shirts are really comfortable, but because the, because the mission is so fantastic. So give our give our listeners a sense of <laughs> of of like why it's not just basketball what yeah. you guys do. No, no, not at all. Um, and the reason, look, the easiest explanation I can give you is I'm just trying to replicate my childhood experience. My childhood experience was not just based around playing basketball um, from the leader's standpoint, so from my coach's standpoint. Yeah. From the kids, it was. So when I was a kid as a 6th and 7th grader, I'm thinking I'm going to the school just to hoop. But I, I started just naturally and organically falling into these other areas of life, whether it be community service or um putting more priority on my academics, you know, all these things that my coach showed me was important and he was able to have an influence over me because of how much I cared for the game of basketball. So the other side of basketball is an organization. We're a nonprofit. It's, um, and even when, you know what, before I started the other side of basketball, I did other stuff with kids and that stuff wasn't a nonprofit, but we always operated like a nonprofit. So um, you can, you know, sometimes people get a little 
confused by the wording of all that. But it's about the experience of the kid. And what we look for is, is are kids that have enough of a passion for the game of basketball that they're willing to allow us to help dictate their lifestyle by it. That's it. We got kids who just signed with D- Division One schools. We have some kids that won't play a second of their high school basketball career on their team. They won't make a team. We treat them all the same because it's about do you have a, a passion for the game? If so, we can get you involved in something, and we want to be a part of your childhood experience. What well, well, you're sugarcoating, and you're not saying it, so I'm going to say it for mm-hmm. you, but there's community service trips. Mm-hmm. There are kids that are going overseas. Mm-hmm. Um, there are kids that are going overseas doing their own thing based yeah. off of experiences that they've had with the group yep. that have been impact clearly had an impact for them to go back even without Lamar Heard or mm-hmm. other people just because they've created these relationships. So share at least – give me one of those stories. Uh, in 2000 – 13, I, I went with a group of, I think, seven kids to Haiti. Yeah. I have a friend in Portland. His name is Joey Jenkins. He's probably the best human being I've ever met. And that's saying a lot because everybody knows how I feel about my coach and my mom and even, of course, you. I was, where um, am I on this depth and, chart? <laughs> and so this guy, Joey Jenkins, he had been uh, sponsoring an orphanage in Haiti yeah. for a while through his nonprofit group. And I said, I want to get my kids involved with that. Yeah, he's definitely a better so human being. I threw so it, <laughs> I threw it out there to some of our kids. And... Um, because I was going, they said, yeah, sure, we'll go too. One of our kids goes, he's a sixth grader at the time. His name is Joseph. And throughout the whole trip, as you're looking up, you see Joseph communicating with this one Haitian boy in particular. But the thing is, the Haitian boy can't speak English and Joseph can't speak their language. So they're spending literally hours together every day talking, but not understanding each other's language. It was it was the craziest slash coolest thing ever to see. We leave the trip, and on the last day, you could see Joseph was sad, and the young boy was was really sad. And um, I talked to Joseph, and I said, hey, man, you know, how you feel? And he's like, man, I just feel like I, I want to do something. I want to help them more. And I said, all right. I said, you know, we, we should spend time this next, this year, like finding a way to do something. So like, don't just leave the trip and then it's all over, which is another thing. I got to go off on a quick tangent. Go for it. And I told our kids this. I said, look, before we took the trip, I said, do not come on this trip. If you want to come on a trip, just so you can go take some pictures, uh, talk about how, how, uh, how different you are now that you went on the trip. This trip is not about you. It's not about us. We are going there to be of service to the Haitians. So get your mind right before we go, because that's the purpose we're going. So I was glad at the end of the trip that Joseph took that to heart and said, okay, what can I continue to do for them? And Joseph decided he wanted to raise money for those kids to get English, to to have an English teacher. So he raises $7,000 through school programs, Mm -hmm. through going to family, going door to door, whatever he had to do to raise money for them to get an English teacher. He raised the money. uh, We sent it down to Haiti. They got their English teacher. Joseph goes back to Haiti the following summer, this time I'm not there. I'm on a on a basketball trip with one of our groups of kids. And Joseph texts me videos from Haiti of him and the kid talking English to each other back and forth. Mm-hmm. And it was the man, I was I, I was like in tears when I saw the video. Because that's that's the kind of thing that when I when I retired from basketball in two thousand and seven. That's what you wanted. That's all I wanted. That's all I wanted from all of our kids to have that kind of opportunity to understand from a very young age that Look, this whole life thing is so much bigger than your own little bubble. Because, again, those are things that I learned when I was a kid. So those are the kind of things we try to do for our kids. And 
we, we have some really great kids and families that understand our mission. Uh, in our show notes, there'll be a link uh, to the other side of basketball if you want to take a closer look at what they do or, or so gracious enough and are thinking about giving. Um, definitely a great place to go. And, and it's, like I said, more than just the basketball. Um, once again, in the show notes. Before we wrap up, you're a broadcaster now. Uh, how different is life as an NBA broadcaster? Um, I'm going to start specific to me and the job that I took. Because let me rephrase. Actually, another time I'm going to mm-hmm. cut you off here. Oh, yeah. um, Lamar told his story. He didn't play. He didn't play in the league. Mm-hmm. decided to go another route. Um, Lord knows, and you guys know this from listening to this podcast, I mean, we've had NBA guys on. You can go around the league and every color analyst, and by color analyst, I mean the person who's not doing the play-by-play. So you have a play-by-play guy, which would be uh, Joe Schmo, like me, for example, who didn't play, that just is a broadcaster, with someone who did play, who's got skills, a la Lamar. So you go across the NBA, it's former NBA players. If I'm not mistaken, you're the only NBA broadcaster on TV that's not a former NBA me, guy? Me and uh, Stephanie Reddy in Charlotte. Okay. But she's done a lot of NBA work. She's yes. been in the business for a while. She's she's awesome, yeah, by the way. Yeah. She works with Del Curry. Um, yeah, we're the only ones that didn't play, and I'm the youngest one, I think, by by quite a ways. Was she WNBA? You know, I don't know. She coached some type of professional Because I feel like that's the other way Yeah, to that's get another You know what I mean? Just... They, without question, everybody has way more professional credentials <laughs> than me. So any professional yeah. credential I have is overseas. Yep. Um, so I was super fortunate to have that opportunity. Um, and furthermore, uh, one of one of the three biggest misconceptions, I think, of my life, um, this wasn't a job that I chased. Um, you know, the Blazers reached out to me in the summer and asked my interest. And you know, because I was going back and forth with oh, you yeah. all summer. Yeah. I mean, I the people here at Pac-12 are like family to me. And when I get somewhere where I'm like family and I love it, I don't I don't care what it might look like from the outside in. Like if I'm comfortable and I'm good, I'm good. So, you know, it, it took a little while before uh, we, we were able to get that whole deal done. But uh, I'm glad I did it. Specific to my job, um, one of the biggest differences is I went from – so you know this. Working for the Pac-12, yeah. if we go to a Pac-12 institution or if we go to um, – the, the Pac-12 tournament, like, people love to see us. Like, they they like to see us. They like to see you more than yeah, me. right. Uh, but they, like, they enjoy seeing us. You know, they see us, hey, the Pac-12 guys. When I took over the job as the Blazers, I was taking over. I, so the guys that came before me and Kevin, they were staples. Institutions. They were staples yeah. in the community. Yeah. And, you know, great guys did a great job. And so uh, when the team decided to make a transition, everybody wasn't happy about that. And a lot of people viewed it as this new group against their former group. And so it, it got it got so crazy to the point where, you know, we just had the election a few months ago. Um, Oregon is a Hillary state. And so it got to the point where uh, and people in Oregon, they'll they'll make it clear if they don't like something. Um, it got to the point where on Twitter you would see certain people who would send messages to Kevin and myself uh, saying how they don't like us or, you know, we suck or whatever, and they, you know, they need to fire us. Those same people who were bashing Trump before he won the election, once he won it, were saying, you know what, let's give this dude a chance. Like, let's, let's, oh, yeah. we should all be fair and give him a chance. 
So <laughs> he was able to get a chance from those people who did not like him more than we were able to get a chance. So that's just kind of how I'm going to get you make make America great again. <laughs> no, baseball no. cap. Uh-uh. I'm not going into the whole politics of it. And look, I'm, I'm not, not touching I'm either. not here yeah. to 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 bash one candidate no. over other nothing like that, but we, we these both are people agree that Kevin O'Neill oh my gosh. he wants to run. So oh we thought gosh. we would support his candidacy. Yeah, I don't even know about that. KO's candidacy. I told I told you that if KO ran and you were his his mate, you'd be They'd win. You guys would win. I, I want to feel good about the win. Uh, but anyway, so these people, these people, I mean, these people <laughs> disliked us so much that yeah. they were willing to give a candidate that they hated uh, a chance before they were able to give it. So it, it, it took a few months before we could even walk into the motor center and, and feel even welcome. I mean, you some of the stairs you would get and all that. And look, it's a passionate fan base. Yeah. They love their people. They love their team. They love their personnel and so um that part of it was the first part to kind of get through yeah. kind of broke through that and just from a basketball standpoint it's similar to being a player it's a faster game yeah there's a few different rules so you know maybe you talk less in certain scenarios uh you talk more in others um and it's an it's an entertainment game the players carry the action all right last thing before i let you get going here um you're gonna have to come on again because I got about a million questions. I know, and, and I left out a lot and, of stuff. And I, yeah, I mean, what am I gonna do? I mean, we, I did that intentionally so I can little deep so I can, yeah, be on again. All right, so you're gonna get you on again because there's things I want to ask you about your career and whatnot. Um, and by the way, just for timing purposes, so we're recording this podcast around the All Star break, so you feel welcome now um, at home in Portland broadcasting the games, correct? Oh yes, no, right. oh without question. All right, so last thing I'm gonna ask you here: Do you ever feel insecure or inadequate because of the lack of NBA experience never, as a player? Never. Um, if I didn't go through what I went through in college, yeah. I wouldn't be able to do this job. Like all the people that sent the hate messages sure. and all that, it would have broke me down. I would have been worried about how I looked. I don't care. I, I joke with Bethany about this all the time, and it's not a joke. It's serious, but like she knows this about me. If there's something I don't care about and there's something you don't care about, I guarantee you I care about it the least. So... If there's somebody offering opinions that I don't really care about, like I do not care about, and it does not knock me. Same way, when people give me praise, I don't take it all to my head and think I'm better than everything else. So you have to be even killed with what you got going on. And I know that I've done enough in the game of basketball to understand the game, to be able to communicate the game, uh, to be able to watch it and observe it. And I think with what you've seen, even so far this year, uh, fortunately, the reception we've gotten, Kevin and I, when you look all across the area, uh, has been pretty supportive. I mean, we walk into other arenas. We, I got James Worthy coming up to me and Kevin talking about how much he loves watching our broadcast. Crazy. Del Curry, the same thing. Yeah. Uh, Mike Breen at New York. You know, these Another are dudes, Fordham guy, th- baby. These are dudes that yeah. I've been watching, you know, my yeah. whole life yeah. coming up and telling me they love my broadcast. So, um, again, I, I, I you take it with a grain of salt, but um, – I think we're doing something, yeah. something right. All right. Normally, I just say goodbye, but because of timing purposes, and I, I want to see how the flow of audio goes, mm-hmm. I, I'll actually say goodbye to you, All right. and then I'm going to do the close. You cool, cool. with that? Go ahead. Because uh, we got a production meeting, we got a show tonight. Uh, Lamar, thanks so much for stopping by. With hey, us. thank so, you, man. I appreciate. You're it. You're going to come back again. Uh, and for those of you who, by the way, are, are just checking out the show for the first time, don't forget we love the the feedback on social media uh, at Mike underscore Yam at Give Me a Sense Podcast. At Mike underscore Yam on Instagram. Facebook is Mike Yam as well. Lamar, what's your Twitter handle? 
L underscore Hurd. What's the deal with that? Was there another Lamar Hurd that you yeah, could there, Yeah, there's, a, there's some dude in Seattle. <clears throat> and you know what's funny? Those first few months yeah. of working for the Blazers, people will send him, him some of the That's ma- awesome. That was meant for me. <laughs> so, like, I wasn't getting as many messages. Because Kevin would be yeah. like, man, are you getting all these messages? Yeah. I'm like, no, I'm not getting it. It was going to the wrong person. Yeah. There is another Mike Yam on Twitter, by the way, which there is. bothers me. So I had to go underscore, which is which is all good. Oh, I'm going to uh, look him up. Yeah. The, the other thing I would tell you um, – and, and look, a lot of times I, I have connections with a lot of the guests, and, and Lamar and I have worked together. I, I truly do mean this. There are very few people on the planet that uh, uh, look. I, I think what we do at Pac-12 Network, when it's Lamar and Kevin O'Neill on the set, and I've said this to you, so I'm not speaking out of turn because you're still sitting here, which is slightly awkward as I'm saying this. But I don't know another situation where I actually have more fun on air with these guys on set. So when Lamar says family here at Pac-12 Network in a lot of ways, um, that that really resonates because I, I can't envision, enough, and I look, I've been at NBA TV, ESPN, Sirius Radio, uh, a, a, a slew of other places. So I, I can tell you in all sincerity, I have never had more fun on a set there are times, Pac-12 tournament, we are in a room with no windows, with eight TV monitors watching games for, what, 12, 14 yeah, hours? All day. And we'll finish up the show, our last show at the end of the night, and still hang out <laughs> in our touchdown room just swapping stories and having a good time. And I've never had that, and um, everyone seems to beeline it out of the studio. We're sad yeah. when those days are done. We're like, oh, man, like we actually got to go home yeah. now, which is kind of a crazy thing. So hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode. Remember to share it on social media. That's always a, a huge thing because, as I've said before, one-man band, uh, editing, producing, um, the editing is always always fun. Hopefully this is one chunk, so it'll be really easy for me to do it. Um, and then, of course, the social media thing, which is by far the hardest part about this whole thing. I did a, a mentorship thing for AAJ the other day, and someone had asked me about the biggest challenge of doing this podcast. And I've told them, I've told everyone this. The one thing I did not anticipate was the promotion for it. I am mm. awful at it. It is not fun for me to do. I'm not good at that um, stuff It is a necessary evil um, so the more help you guys can give me, the, the better. And, and greatly appreciate you spending the time because Lord knows there's enough podcasts out there for everyone to go and listen to. So once again, thanks for listening. We'll catch you on the next episode.